We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for making Empower Radio and Journey to Center a part of your day. I'm incredibly honored by your presence in my life. So, you know, everyone wants to be happy and everyone deserves it. But if this is the case, why do so many people struggle to find, relax into and maintain true and lasting fulfillment? Did you know recent studies have actually indicated that happiness is at an all-time low and that people overall are more miserable than ever? So why is this and what can we do about it? Well, for me, I'm claiming, cultivating, and living my personal happiness, and I'm doing this show so that I can share tips, tools, guests, and experts to support you in living a more joy-filled and empowered life. And today, I'm very happy to have with us my very wise and wonderful guest, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. Dr. Ben-Shahar is a graduate and lecturer at Harvard University and created the very popular positive psychology course, which was actually the most successful course in Harvard's history. For the last 15 years, he's taught leadership, happiness, and mindfulness to audiences around the world. He's the co-founder of the Happiness Studies Academy and the author of six books, including the international bestsellers, Being Happy and Happier, which have been translated into more than 25 languages. Today, we're going to talk about his newest book, Shortcuts to Happiness, Life-Changing Lessons from My Barber. So, Dr. Ben Shahar, thank you so much for saying yes to this conversation today. Thank you, Tammy. So I just finished reading your book and I loved it a lot. It was just a really beautiful, I think, testament to your relationship and friendship with your barber. Can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to write this book? Sure. So, you know, for the past uh, 25, 30 years, I've been exploring the field of happiness and mostly through academia. So reading uh, research, uh, attending lectures, speaking with experts, uh, drawing on fMRIs and PET scans. Um, and then about, uh, about three, four years ago, I went uh, to my barber again. And this was just before boarding uh, a flight. I was exhausted, really didn't feel like uh, getting on another flight. And I went in and 20 minutes later, I come out not just looking better, but feeling better. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I've, th th this is a trend because uh, Avi, my barber, uh, has, has had this effect uh, on me as well as on others. And I thought to myself, uh, why don't I deviate from uh, my normal path, which is drawing on academic research and see what wisdom I can uh, uh, reflect on and write about from my barber. And that started a two-year journey, I must say, uh, personally, uh, a life-changing uh, journey. And I shared what, I, what I'd learned from him uh, in the book, Shortcuts to Happiness. It's so interesting. And, you know, just reading the book, and I read a lot of books, it definitely felt like um, a heartfelt um, project for you. He sounds like a very heartfelt man. So he, you say he changed the trajectory of your life. So how is this? You went from academia to this. What was the difference and, and how has this changed you? 
Yeah, so you know, in, in many ways, one of, one of the ways uh, is that usually when when I write or when I when I used to write, I was uh, you know very serious or stir, stern even, and you know everyone you you know don't don't do not disturb. <laughs> Whereas uh, yes. when I was writing this book uh, about Avi, I actually couldn't stop smiling and sometimes laughing. Oh. So it was a, a real uh, labor of joy. Uh, for me. So th this is one thing. And the other thing is that uh, I've become much more aware of the wisdom that resides all around us uh, and specifically in, uh, in our relationships. Yes. And I think that that is such a good point and I'm glad you brought it up. The reason I do this show, it, it started under the umbrella of relationships, but it really has evolved. Um, I think relationships bring us our deepest fulfillment. And I read that in your book, mm. that the happiest countries are the ones that really seem to value relationships. So can you tell me a little bit more about your perspective and why you think that this is so vital in regards yes. to claiming happiness? Absolutely. So relationships are hands down the number one predictor of happiness. Um, some of the uh, listeners may be familiar with a, a by now famous Harvard study uh, where what they did was follow Harvard graduates, uh, so from the age of around 22, for 75 years. So for most of them, it was for the rest of their lives, um, as well as uh, following people from the community uh, around the university. Over 75 years, they collected quite literally millions of data points. And what they found was that the best predictor of both physical health as well as mental health, physical health, as well as mental health, the best predictor was relationships. Uh, the interesting thing is it didn't really matter what kind of relationships, meaning for some people it was uh, a romantic relationship that they enjoyed for many years. For others, it was uh, friendships. For others, it was uh, professional or family relationships. It didn't matter. But for the people who were healthiest and happiest, um, they were likely to have uh, intimate, close, real, genuine, authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. And I, I really relate to that. Years ago, I was um, in academia as well, and I was, you know, trying to connect more from the heart. And it seemed like it was um, discounted a little bit from my professors. But I've really come to realize that it's only from the heart that life feels fulfilling. And to me, that is about love. That is about connection. And I know you wrote this in your book about how he would easily express, you know, I love you. And, and mm. it doesn't have to just be in our um, romantic partnerships. We can have those kinds of connections with everyone. Yeah, so it's absolutely right. And what I did with each of the chapters was I connected it to research that I that I was yes. familiar with or, or looked at. And specifically, you know, I, I remember you just brought that up and, and this was maybe three years ago, but I remember it as if it was yesterday when um, we had a conversation and then and then I left the, the salon and he said, Tal, I love you. Mm -hmm. And I and, and I felt so embarrassed because, you know, I, I've said I, I love you to, you know, my wife and, and you know, children and, and and here, you know, my barber is telling me that he loves me. Um, and, and, and I went home and I thought about, A, why I felt uh, awkward, and B, mm -hmm. what, what's the deep meaning of, of, of love? And I thought uh, about the research of Barbara Fredrickson. She's a professor at UNC, and she wrote a, a wonderful book 
called Love 2.0. Yes. And in it, she describes the, um, the physiology of love. And um, what she shows is that we experience love. Um, the physiological reaction of love is the feeling of what she calls positivity resonance, positivity resonance. Mm -hmm. Specifically, what she means by that is, for example, let's say, you know, I walk down the street and um, a person comes, uh, um, walks next to me and suddenly both of us see, uh, you know, a cute puppy. And then we look at each other and smile. This is positivity resonance. Now, her argument, what she shows through her research, is, th is that this is the physiological equivalent of love. Um, we experience it when we love our child, and we experience it when, when it's romantic love, to different degrees, of course. However, the, um, the, um, the, the physiological um, response is, is the same. It's of the same ilk, of the same kind. Um, and therefore, we can experience love even towards a stranger when we experience positivity resonance. And I thought, wow, you know, so Abi is right because we both laugh together and we smile together and we experience love. And I must say, I've been a, a, a lot more um, uh, open about, about my feelings about love. And it's not just the words. I actually feel like the, uh, the emotion is coming up uh, more often. Because mm -hmm. the, bar, the bar isn't so high. I don't exclude uh, these feelings that come on a regular, on, on a daily basis even. Oh, I love hearing this. And to me, it is, it's about just really um, melting the walls around our hearts and being mm -hmm. able to live more from that vulnerable posture. And it's not necessarily normal or natural. And I think it probably is more challenging um, for men as a gender overall. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, and I, I love the, the, the words that you use, you know, melding those walls, because there are walls and we put up walls and these walls don't exist initially. Yes, uh, we, we, we put them up late, later on in life when we start to protect ourselves and we're afraid of being vulnerable because if I tell someone, you know, I love you and I don't hear it back, um, then what? Mm -hmm. um, then, uh, th then it hurts. Uh, then uh, how am I going to feel? What are they going to think? Um, whereas we, we miss the point because uh, perhaps the most important part of happiness is not being loved, but loving. So yeah. we have to start with the loving. The rest oh, will take, will, will follow suit. I, I just got goosebumps because I think that is so true. It is not the love we get, but the love we give that brings us that, um, that feeling of joy. And, you know, I think of when we're in really loving relationship with ourselves. if other people don't reflect it back to us, we don't take it so personally, mm -hmm. which is, I think, self-doubt and um, questioning our lovability is probably one of the biggest um, and most painful experiences that we have. But if we can, we can um, heal that, we can show up as a more loving force in our lives and continue to ripple it out, which, um, yeah, that's bringing heaven to earth. Exactly right. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about just how we can um, cultivate more happiness in our lives. You talk about giving ourselves permission to be human. Mm. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, that, 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 that's a big one uh, for me and I think for many, for many people. So uh, the idea of the permission to be human is the following. It's that in order to bring in happiness into our lives, we first need to allow in unhappiness. Mm -hmm. 
And um, uh, I, I'd like to share a, a story, an anecdote, something I experienced when I first taught a class on, uh, on positive psychology. And I was having lunch at, in one of the uh, Harvard undergraduate dorms and a student came over and said, Tal, can I join you? And I said, sure. So he comes and sits down and says, Tal, I, I hear you're teaching a class on happiness. And I said, yeah, that's right, positive psychology. And then he says, yeah, my roommates are taking your class. And I said, that's great. And then he said the following, he said, Tal, but now that you're teaching this class, you've got to watch out. And I said, what? And he said, Tal, you've got to be careful. And I said, why? And he said, because if I see you unhappy, I'll tell my roommates. Mm. And, and, and I actually used that in class the following day. And I told my students, I said, you know, the last thing in the world that I want you to think is that I'm always happy or that you, by the end of the year, will experience a constant high because there are only two kinds of people who do not experience painful emotions such as sadness or anger or uh, disappointment or anxiety or envy. There are only two kinds of people who do not experience painful emotions. Uh, the two kinds are first, the psychopaths mm. and second, the dead. I was going to so, say the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so if you experience painful emotions, it, it, it's actually a good sign. It means you're not a psychopath and you're alive. Mm. Um, and the problem is that when we reject painful emotions, when we do not give ourselves the permission to be human, these emotions only intensify and they, they begin to, to control us, to dominate us. Whereas when we allow these emotions to take their course, they leave just as they come. That's one thing. The second thing is that if we don't allow painful emotions in, we are blocking our emotional pipeline and we only have one emotional pipeline, not two. And if we block the painful emotions, we're inadvertently also blocking the pleasurable ones. So if we don't give ourselves the permission to be human, um, we can't experience as much happiness or as much love or as much joy. In the words of uh, Golda Meir, uh, she was the prime minister of Israel back in the 1970s. She once said, those who cannot weep with their whole heart cannot laugh with their whole heart either. That's beautiful. And I, I know you're absolutely right. When we shut down to one side of um, the emotional spectrum, we kind of pinch off the other side as well. We're here to experience the whole um, spectrum, the whole rainbow, the whole you know, colorful palette of humanity um, if we want to fully live. So I love what you're saying, and I know it's absolutely true. And, and you know, Tammy, this, this as, as you obviously know, very much applies to relationships. I mentioned in the context of, of love and also in the context of, um, of improving uh, our relationships, growing our relationships. Because if, if you look at the best relationships, and again, you, you don't need research for it, even though there is a lot of research by John Gottman and David Schnarch and others, um, the best relationships are not relationships that are devoid of sadness or disappointment or conflict. Uh, there are relationships actually that embrace sadness, disappointment and conflict mm -hmm. and learn and grow from these. I couldn't agree more. You know, I tell people all the time when, when sad things happen, let the tears come. It's sort of like allow the rain to come. The sun's mm. going to come out again. If we try to avoid or deny it. We are building walls or pinching off to the experience of life. So yeah, just allow the tears to come and, and it will move through you. It's what, you know, we resist persists. So I think that's wise and accurate and wonderful and truth. So this is really great stuff. 
um, towel. So um, are there a few other simple ways that you can suggest or advise to our listeners here that we can um, do or use to boost our happiness and quality of life? Um, sure. And um, I'll say just one more, uh, which is specific uh, to relationships, because I think it is so important in today's yes. age. And um, I, I want to share a, a study. And th this is a study that was conducted with teenagers, uh, though it's as relevant uh, to adults. Um, so this is Jean Twenge. Yeah, she teaches at uh, um, University of uh, San Diego. And what she did was every five years, researchers look at the mental health status of teens in the United States. Mm -hmm. and, and this applies to the rest of the world, but this particular study looks at the United States. And every five years, uh, they find some you know, change, you know, 1% up, 1% down in, um, in, in their depression, anxiety, loneliness, and so on. Well, they tested it this time. In, uh, or this year, in comparison to uh, last year, or sorry, to five years ago, levels of depression went up by over 30% hmm. among the teens. Suicide, suicide levels, this is quote unquote successful suicide, went up by over 30%. Hmm. This has never happened throughout history. We've never seen such a huge increase in suicide, uh, increase in depression levels, mm -hmm. uh, as well as other measures of mental health. And um, so Jean Twenge looked at, at the data, she mined it, she, she analyzed and reanalyzed, and she came to the following conclusion. She said the one reason that we identified uh, for this radical and, and, and troubling and tragic change is, and I quote, the ascendance of the smartphone, mm. the ascendance of the smartphone. And um, you see the ascendance of the smartphone affecting the mental health of adults as well, affecting the quality of relationships as well. And uh, it's the smartphone and it's uh, technology in general. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against technology. I actually love technology. The fact that people can hear us now, that we can interact thanks to technology. Now, I just, I just met my best friend from when we were uh, 12 years old. We hadn't seen each other for 35 years because our parents moved countries. Uh, we met thanks to technology. So, mm -hmm. you know, my, my sister met her amazing husband through uh, a dating site. So technology can be, can be wonderful in moderation. You know that the number one addiction today, number one addiction today is no longer gambling. It's not alcohol. It's not drugs. Number one addiction, screen. Mm. And, and we're paying a very high price for it, especially, especially in the context of relationships. Uh, um, Eric Kleinberg, who teaches uh, sociology at NYU, has done research showing that the more time people spend on social media, the lonelier they are. So this mm -hmm. is affecting our, our mental health. It's affecting our relationships in a radical, um, negative and, 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 and tragic mm -hmm. manner. And what we need to do is we need to disconnect in order to connect. Technology is great with moderation. 
So a way that we can boost our happiness is uh, get away from the screen, put down our phone, have some more human interaction. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, ex exactly yeah. right. And, you know, w whether it's uh, family time or when you're with your friends and certainly when you're with your lover, you know, today when you ask most people, when you open your eyes, what's the first thing that you turn to? The answer is not I turn to to my lovely partner next to me or uh, or to, you know, to meditation. I turn to my to my uh, cell phone. This is what people do first thing in the morning. We need to keep it away. You know, just like uh, an alcoholic wouldn't have a, a whiskey bottle right next to their bed. We shouldn't have the phone right next to our bed. Yes. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's about, and you write about this a lot in, in your book and maybe a lot of your books, it's about finding that balance, finding that balance between, um, I think, working, doing, being, experiencing pleasure and meaning. It's finding our authentic shape yes, from I, head I, and heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, you know, a, a lot of it go, um, boils down to, to moderation. Yes. Where, um, you know, whether it's uh, in, 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 in the way we eat, whether it's in, in what we eat, whether it's in, uh, in, in work, life, uh, trying to find this balance through moderation. Not easy. Not easy in our modern world. It uh, definitely takes intention and some effort and, uh, yes, saying no to certain things and yes to other things. I think you make a, a very, very good point. So, Tal, um, we only have five minutes. I can't believe how fast this is going, but I want to give you an opportunity to do a shout out and let people know where they can find you, get a copy of your book, Shortcuts to Happiness, or some of your other books. Um, sure. So my website is uh, talbenshahar.com. That's T-A-L-B-E-N-S-H-A-H-A-R. And there is uh, access there to, to my books as well as to my online programs and, um, and other material. So we just have a few minutes here, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the qualities and characteristics that I know have helped me so much. And there's two of them, gratitude and generosity. Mm -hmm. I'm what so do you glad think you, about that? I mm -hmm. love them. I'm glad mm -hmm. you brought them up. So, you know, gratitude. I, I started keeping a gratitude journal uh, in 1999, and it was because Oprah talked about it in one of her uh, uh, yes. programs. And mm -hmm. um, it was only three years Four years later that I encountered research on gratitude. Uh, so as, as in many things, she was uh, ahead of the curve. And, um, and, and specifically what the research shows is that if we keep a gratitude journal, meaning spend two, three minutes a night writing down things for which they're grateful, big things or little things, whether it's, you know, God, our relationship or a, a nice meal that we had. Um, if we write these things down, and when we write it down, we focus on what we write. So it's not just going through the motion. It's actually experiencing um, the, um, the, the, the gratitude, the savoring. Uh, the, the result is that we become happier overall, more optimistic, more likely to achieve our goals. In other words, more successful. We become more generous and kinder toward others. And finally, we become physically healthier. So it actually strengthens our immune system. Mm. Um, and uh, other research by Sonia Lubomirsky has shown that even if we do it once a week, whether um, as a family or as a couple, and, and tell one another what we're grateful for, this has yes. a positive effect on the relationship and on our overall happiness. Yes. 
It's one of my favorite games, and you write about this in, in your book. It's like what I like about you, prizing, complimenting, gratitude. It's such a healing experience for the person that is um, sharing it, and I think for the receiver as well. It's, you know, a very generous and gracious way to live, which I think invites grace and happiness, peace and joy. And uh, I just can't say enough good things about your work, your teaching, your way of being. You're such um, a bright light. And um, it's, a, it's an incredible honor to have this conversation with you, Tao. Thank you very much, Tani. Okay, we have like two minutes. Do you have any final words of wisdom or anything else you'd like to share with our friends here today? Yes. So, so I do want to say just a couple of words on, on generosity. One yes. of the best ways to increase levels of happiness is to, to be kind, to be generous, to help others. Um, there's a lot of research showing that um, when we give, uh, we receive and we receive with interest. Uh, so one of the best investments we can make is in others. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yes. To give what we want to receive, I think, is the, the most effective way of uh, manifesting a, a peaceful, graceful, joyful life. I do that with prosperity and tithing, and I do it with love. And it, it, was, it started as an experiment because I couldn't believe it would be effective, but I didn't think there was a downside. <laughs> it really worked. It does work. It does work. So to my friends and to my listeners, I'm so honored you spent some time here with us today with uh, Dr. Ben Shahar. I'm going to have him back next week. There's a lot more I want to address. We covered a lot of territory today, but there's even more that I want to discuss with this lovely man. And I'd love to be in touch with you. Please be in touch at TammyBPhD.com or you can email me, TammyBPhD at gmail.com. I want to know what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're doing. I love social media. I'm on Facebook. Um, let's continue the conversation, the friendship and the relationship. God bless you. Take good, gentle care of yourself. Onward and upward. Bye for now. 